You are now tuned in to Believe. Do you believe? When, when we're, especially when we're surrounded, and I will say this, I used to feel like this was everyone, but there are different social circles. So when we pay attention to who you're surrounding yourself with too, like start to kind of look at that because the more I got into circles where people were actively working on themselves, and this is what can be really great about a sober community is because usually people in a sober community have had to kind of come to a, a self-reckoning you know, like the, you've had to come to that humility place where you're like, I'm something is controlling me. I have lost control of the situation. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that's a breaking point. And it's it, regardless of what got you there, it might not have even been something severe crisis. It could have just been like, wow, I had to recognize that I don't have it all under control. And so then you're actively working on yourself and, and being in a community where people are actively working on themselves is so different because they tend to root for you they tend to like really there's there it's just a healthier environment and not everybody not everybody everybody's in right. a different stage but it really sobriety can't... is scary untapped keg is here to look at different perspectives into sobriety and mental health oftentimes the topics are going to be uncomfortable and they might be triggering we do not shy away from difficult conversations so when you're listening please keep this in mind When it comes to talking about things that we do, oftentimes we're speaking from a personal point of view, a lived experience, and as peers. We are not medical professionals, but rather advocates. And if there is a medical professional on the podcast, we will state as such. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome. Thank you for tapping into some Untapped Keg, our podcast where we explore the different perspectives of sobriety and mental health. So that you can take one or two things and maybe implement them into your own life, whether you're sober or not. I'm one of your hosts, RJ Zimmerman, and I am very excited to have the privilege and pleasure of talking with Tara Zoe, CEO and co-founder of Sober Buddy. How are you doing today, Tara? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited you're here. So for those who don't know... I'll let you explain what exactly is Sober Buddy. Well, Sober Buddy is mainly an app. We used to have an email service too, but now we're mainly an app. And it is for anybody who wants to get or stay sober. And we do bite-sized challenges, motivation, and tracking. And our tracker, our sober tracker is free. And then we have a program with, that is um, evidence-based treatment models for getting and staying sober off of any drugs or alcohol. As well, and in any way that you do it, like even if you're on medically assisted treatment, so it's a cool program. That is, it's really neat, and uh, you know, I've heard, or I've seen people talk about it on uh, social media. Uh, mainly, I frequent Twitter, but I've seen Instagram too. Is kind of like where I see a lot about sober buddy, and then um, just going to your website, you know, yoursoberbuddy.com, and reading your facts page is just like. We have a saying at Untap Keg where there's only one real way to get sober, and that's the way that works for you. And I feel like that's exactly what you all subscribe to as well. Yeah, we try. So we try to do a calm. We try to kind of mix it up with the saying of like, hey, we we're going to present to you what we know works, you know, just from evidence, from research, you know, these, and and a lot of that is, it's just so everybody knows it's cognitive behavioral therapy. And I can, we can elaborate on that if we need to, but also motivational interviewing and just, um, you know, even life improvement. We know that if you have to replace your life, you, you can't just like take everything away and not fill up that void with, you know, a life that you love. You know, we know that that's one of the biggest um, indicators of long-term sobriety. You know, success is building a life that you love. So all of those things we mix in there and we try to incorporate and support anybody's way of doing that as well. So that all of that technique can be used along with whatever program you're running or not running. You know, it could be a, any spiritual belief, anything, you know, so... And really filling in the cracks, right, is where we 
find a lot of fear. We find, especially when you start, you're like, you know, is my life going to be boring now? What am I going to do? Like that is some stereotypes. That's the number one. That's the number yes. one fear. Is my life going to be boring? <laughs> yes. And then as somebody who's eight and a half years sober, been to Italy twice sober, like I literally just got back three weeks ago there, you can do whatever you want. And guess what? You don't have to drink wine, even though that's what Italy is known for, right? Like you can eat the amazing food. You can drink the amazing cappuccino and espresso, like, and just enjoy the things that are around you without what I like to call the screen door effect, which if I have, if you haven't heard me explain that before, it's when you are drinking or you're on drugs, you tend to see the world, but it's through a little bit of a screen door. Like you can see things and make them out, but the details, the finer points are lost. And as you are going sober and it takes a little while, it takes six months to a year and that screen door starts to be removed. You start to appreciate the smaller things in life. Like uh, I had a softball tournament. It was hot as heck this weekend. And afterwards I ran the bases with my kids and I just appreciated hearing their laughter. Like if I was drinking and I was, it was hot out, I would have just been looking for, let's get to a bar right now. And like not done that with my kids, but I took my kids and we ran the bases and we were laughing and having fun. And that is something that I would not have enjoyed in those without being sober, like the smaller things, those little details. Um, be more present for sure. I love the screen door yes, idea. Yes. I feel like that's like a, TikTok post or something that's waiting to happen. <laughs> I'm going to have to trademark that one. <laughs> that one. And so I have a saying too that, uh, you know, so somebody posted on, um, on Twitter is uh, the unashamed alcoholic, Becca. And she posted about how sobriety isn't all, um, you know, everything's great and, and all of this because it's still life, right? And so I said, yeah, it is all rainbows and unicorns. The only problem is unicorns still have to shit. So we still have shit we have to clean up. So like, <laughs> I sure. was like, yeah. there we go, another metaphor. <laughs> but I like what you're saying with the screen door, because really what you're saying is you're experiencing it more. So, you know, it's, it's almost like you, know, you wouldn't want, we wouldn't really want a one note life anyway. You know, we want to have, the full spectrum of human experience, you know, but it is different when you're doing it through a haze or like you said, through a screen door than if you can be completely present and, and enjoying it in a different way. And when we're drinking too, like, so if you're exploring going sober, right. And you're looking into it and you're like, I think I might need to, or I I wonder what it's going to look like on the other side. One thing to really do is to take a step back and think about the things that I'm doing and do I actually enjoy them Mm. or do I just enjoy getting drunk? And so I put up with them. Right. So like that is something that I didn't realize that I really didn't enjoy being in in, like around a massive group of people who are getting drunk and being not, (laughs) not a fun group of people, like being hostile. I do not like that. It's Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, when people they'll laugh and say like, you're having so much fun and you're not even drinking. (laughs) And it's sad that we think you can only have fun when you're drinking. I'll be honest. Like if I go to a party and the only activity is drinking, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. There's no good conversation going on. There's no, it's just like the people just are drinking and drinking and drinking. And I'm like, I'm going to go like, I'm bored. You know, there's nothing happening here. Whereas I, you know, we were just talking about having the s'mores and swimming party. We were talking about this and it's so funny because I, I have a bunch of friends with kids and I was like, I'm trying to get like a, you know, the summering happening, you know? And I, um, so I say, I post on my social media, I'm having a s'mores and swimming party. I had all of my girlfriends show up without their kids. Like, They just, I was like, you guys are so motivated by s'mores. (laughs) I just see like a wine and I said a s'mores party and all my girlfriends showed up. So, and everyone wanted to swim and go to the jacuzzi and and just have good talks. And I think that that is a misnomer that we, we can't have fun without, um, without drinking or, or using. And, and, and it's a super, it's a super fun time, you know? And the best part is. You remember them, everything and you don't feel like crying. Yeah, you remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't feel hor- I mean, I will say 
I did have a marshmallow hangover. I, I like, I like for sure was like, I am not okay. <laughs> so you can have, you can have gross feelings from too much sugar to everybody. Just FYI. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sugar. And I can also attest like a caffeine hangover. Cause I've drank an entire pot of coffee and then made another one and had oh. some, beer. and it was like the next day. Oh, this is what I used to feel like when I was hung over. This isn't fun. Yeah. I feel like cold brew. I feel like cold brew is the one that will push me over. Like I can't have cold brew. It's a, it's a hard line for me now. I'm like, no, don't do the cold brew. So, so uh, I went to Italy for nine days and I came back and I became a little bit of a snob and I bought an espresso machine during prime for day. Sure. I was like, this is actually, and I've never had it. And so I try it and I'm like, all right. I guess I'm an espresso guy now. Okay. I guess this is happening. Now, do you play, do you like do an accent when you're making it or and I drink with my pinky up a little yeah, bit? Yeah, for sure. Did you get the little cups, the little espresso cups? So yeah, I got, uh, I bought the one with the virtual that it'll make the different sizes and it like, Oh, you got a Nespresso. Like yeah, the Nespresso. An actual Nespresso. Nespresso. Okay. I support this decision. I have a Nespresso machine and I, my daughter actually wanted it. My daughter, by the way, everybody is, a, she's 20. I didn't give my, my child, like a little child, Nespresso. Um, so she wanted it for Christmas last year. And I was like, okay, I'll get you. And I would always go to like, you know, like a Pete's coffee or something. Nespresso is amazing. I'm addicted to Nespresso now. Like I don't drink, I stopped going to the coffee shop and I just get Nespresso now. Cause I, I think it's way better. And the caffeine hits me in a different way too, where I'll have two of those. Usually I'll drink, you know, uh, this is coffee. So I'll drink two of these usually a day at least. And I can have two cups of espresso and it feels like I've had two of those throughout the entire. Okay, what's day. your flavor? What's your fa- flavor that you love? So right now it's uh it's Stormio is my favorite. Okay. I, okay. I really like the Melo- uh, Melazzo. Those are the two that I drink, the Stormio and the Melazzo. <laughs> Yeah. I love both of those. Those are, those, are, <laughs> those are my favorite right now. I haven't tried all of them, but right now those are my favorite. I do like the Columbia. So connected. I feel connected. Like <laughs> kindred spirits here. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, so with the idea of sober buddy, what, mm-hmm. what was, where did that come from? Where did the idea like spawn out of? Because, you know, a lot of, why I started this podcast is to let people know they're not alone, no matter where they are right. on their journey. So where did Sober Buddy come from? Well, from the beginning, I mean, my whole life, my fa- and I'll talk about my father a little bit. He's my co-founder. And so it's important to know about him. It's, I'm not just randomly talking about my father, but I grew up in a culture, you know, he was, he was a therapist, a MFT, and he worked in drug and alcohol recovery. So, you know, that's, the beginning of drug and alcohol recovery for us. But um, the culture that he perpetuated was he would always ask us, like as kids, he would say like, what's your growth edge? You know, and there was this idea that your life can always be better than it was before, you know, and not in a way like your life is horrible now, but always like kind of the way that we grow and thrive and live as humans is that we are always kind of learning about ourselves and learning about the world and um, it's not necessarily about being perfect. It's just about saying like, Hey, where, who am I and where am I growing? And so that made this culture of like, you know, what, how is life changing and growing for you? And so I grew up with that culture and then I had a, an event. So it was also though a very, uh, religious, we were also very religious and conservative. And, um, I ended up getting pregnant as a 16 year old. So there was this big deal drama. Yeah, it's not like a little D drama. It was not a big deal drama. Like the whole church was involved. The whole neighborhood was involved. It was like, you know, she's done this thing, right? And it was very, very shameful. And what it did is it took me from, I I was always a very um, outgoing you know, I, I felt very secure, adventurous, a little, obviously a little, you know, I was very adventurous. <laughs> I got me in a little bit of trouble. As, as um, be, right? Yes. And, um, and, but it, it did this thing. I used to, I describe it as I, you know, I had all of my, um, I wore my heart on my sleeve. I was very expressive, all these things. And it turned me inside out. You know, I, 
I went from, I had so much shame from this that I turned, I took all of my emotions and put them all the way into the center of me. And I kind of became like this stone wall on the outside, just trying to protect myself, you know, because I was basically, it was a very, um, because it wasn't just the people around me who felt that I had done something horrible. I felt that I had done something horrible. So it wasn't like I was, you know, now I look at it and I can look at it from a totally different perspective, but you know, as a child in the society, I, um, I, I really felt like, oh my God, I couldn't control myself. It was a shameful thing. So it, it turned me inside out. I went cold. I didn't want to show anybody any emotion. I didn't show them I was happy. I didn't show them I was sad. And I went on this like ultra, like, I'm going to be the best good girl ever in life. And I became really extreme in that as well. But because I had that background of personal development, of kind of pulling yourself, you know, always growing, always changing, turning to your spirituality, all that kind of stuff. I went on this intense internal journey of like, I'm going to figure this out. And it took me 10 years, a good 10 years, but I did. I came out of all of that and I came into this really freedom space. You know, I had all this liberation, had this huge like epiphany, came into this freedom. And along that journey, I had learned all of these skills, you know, to pull myself out of a shame place. And it was layers and layers and layers of shame, you know, because things built on top of each other. And what ended up happening is I came into this like radical self-acceptance and what that did is it made me look at everybody else with radical acceptance because all of a sudden, you know, the pain that is in me is also in you. And there's like this whole bonding, you know, all my judgment before that, you know, I had been very judgmental and I was young too. I mean, young people tend to be judgmental anyway, but I had been very, you know, black and white, very judgmental. And now all of a sudden I was just curious. I was just like, I want to know about you. I want to know everything that you are. I want to know even all the stuff you're ashamed of, especially the stuff you're ashamed of, because I want to like, just like know it and liberate it, you know? (laughs) So I kind of went on this thing and I ended up becoming a life coach naturally because everybody, you know, felt like they could open up and there was all this stuff happening. And so I had created a life coaching app like zoom that I I just skipped over like 10 years, but you know, like I created a life coaching app, (laughs) um, 20 years later, I created a life coaching app and I was doing all of this work with the life coaching app and all this, like releasing people from shame. And my father, I had asked him for help on writing one of my segments for my life coaching app about relationships because he was a marriage family therapist. And, um, and we just kept getting in conversation about things. And he said, you know, I, I really want to do this also. I think this would be cool to do for recovery, you know, because he's been in this field. He had been in the field for 20 years. He'd been on the forefront of research in it. He helped create the first evidence-based outpatient treatment program. He um, had gone globally training on this program and he had just really, he, he has this huge heart for saying like, Hey, I want to constantly improve access to care. I want to constantly, you know, um, make things more effective, make things more effective. Like, like this has to get better. This has to get better. So he loved what I was doing with the app. And then I was like, you know what? We really need to take it another step further, not just with access to care, but we really have got to take it another step forward with reducing shame and stigma. So it can't just be about taking the same programs and the same messaging and putting it on an app. It has to take it, it has to address it in a different way. And we have to not have the shame element. And so we took the treatment methods and we broke it down and made it as easy as possible, right? Right? Because we're like, what are all the barriers, right? Make it as easy as possible. Let's make it cute and fun because again. Who wants to get, I mean, and I don't like, if you need to go to a clinical setting, please go to a clinical setting, but who wants to get sober and go to a clinical setting, like to go to a hospital? We want to, like, we want to, especially nowadays, like we want to be on TikTok, right? Because like, how can we, 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 like, how can we make this like not seem like such a drag? And, um, and, and then I went through personally with every single piece of language in this app and I edited out shame language. So because I have major shame triggers, I have this like, like I have like this little alarm that goes off 
with any kind of language that feels shaming. And um, I reframed all of the language so that it would it would feel just like totally accepting. And um, and we made this cool app. And 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 that's like the really easy, fun version of it. <laughs> I mean, it was, it's never easy to build it up. If you're going to go out there and build right. an app, you know, <laughs> please understand that it is not easy, but you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how everybody came to be. And we created the character and, and we just keep adding things to it to make it more fun and cool and, um, and to help people more, you know? So, and I mean, that's, that's really the root of like the love that like um i hope that you get that you experience i mean you know 4.9 and 4.7 for all your reviews that says a lot about how people feel about it even if let's say you know you you start and you're doing really well and then we have a drink or you know we get drunk sometimes guess what that happens you know what you gotta do take another step Just do the relapse recovery check. Like we have, this is what I love about it being a program too. And it being a character because the character makes it feel like there's something personified on the other side, but it's a really safe place too, because it's not a human, you know, it's just human enough to make you feel connected, but it's not human enough to make you feel um, worried that you're going to get rejection because buddy if you relapse 50 times or you tell buddy 50 times a day that you feel horrible, he's not, he's not going to be like, you know what? You're too much for me. (laughs) You know what? I need to set a boundary. (laughs) You're exhausting me. He's not going to say that. He's going to be like, all right, let's, you know, he's always going to offer you comfort and he's always going to take you through another relapse recovery track. He's all, you know, if you have to go through a hundred relapse recovery tracks with buddy, he'll keep taking you through it. Okay. Let's figure out what went wrong. Let's figure out what we're going to learn from this. And let's make a plan to move forward. And he'll do that with you an unlimited amount of times. And I loved that. I loved that element. And if you tell him, I feel bad. And you go back on the app, you say, I feel bad still. He's going to keep telling you, you know, he's going to keep empathizing with you and encouraging you. And um, if you feel good, he's going to celebrate with you, you know? So it's, it's a really cool element that it is, you know, a non-human, but also makes you feel snuggly and warm character. (laughs) I really like what you said there too, about celebrating with you, because I think that that's an underappreciated thing that adults period we do when we celebrate a lot of the time we've been taught to, you know, don't get too high or don't, you know, you're going to make people feel, uh, you know, sad that they don't have the same thing or, you know, what's on the other side. So we tend to downplay things and especially like sobriety, mental health, like celebrating these things are important, whether it's one day, seven days, it doesn't matter. Me and a half years sober. Guess what? I had day one. I had day seven. You don't get there by just like one day waking up. All right. I'm eight years sober. Now I can celebrate. Like, no, have some fun. There is fun here. Yes, we have to make it sometimes. (laughs) And it's okay to celebrate ourselves too. You know, it's funny. One of the first, this was a really powerful thing that happened with me as I, when I was going on my like kind of um, journey, my personal journey, I had come to this point where I really felt like I was amazing. You know, I was like, I'm amazing. And and I had been, I had felt for so long that I wasn't amazing. You know, that I was just like, I had felt like a dirty piece of something. You know what I mean? Like that feeling of like, you're just like deep down, you're really just like this ugly, dirty little thing. Whereas like, and everything you're doing is projecting, you're putting on a show, but if they really knew me, well, I had come to this place where I really felt to the core of me, like I'm amazing. And I started to tell people that. I'd be like, like they would say something nice to me. Like, I know I'm amazing. Right. (laughs) Cause I was just so in awe of like, that I wasn't this horrible thing. And that alone, just saying that you're amazing and it being okay for someone to say, I'm amazing and really believe it, you know, was so impactful to the people around me. I can't tell you how many women I had say to me, Oh my God. Like, I want to say I'm amazing. You know what I mean? So even if you, you know, are feeling amazing and you might feel guilty, like, I can't say I'm amazing because you're thinking about all the shame or all the issues that you've caused or 
all the pain around you or whatever it may be, but in this moment, you're like, but this thing that I did, it's making me feel amazing or it's making me build personal belief or whatever it is. I think that that's, um, that is permission granted. You, you have my permission to say that you are amazing and to celebrate your milestones and celebrate your wins. And, and that's what we do with the tracker. Like every single day you get confetti, which is important. I think we all need confetti celebrations. <laughs> I was like, every day I want confetti. They're like, are you sure you don't want it just on milestones? I'm like, no, every day we're putting confetti. Every hour we need confetti. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. <laughs> that is the saying. It, it, it is cliche, and but it's real. And I've helped friends with mental health like with this one day at a time. The cliche, the cliche that we get one day at a time, but sometimes it is really for real one day at a time. Sometimes you can go weak. Sometimes you can look further ahead month and sometimes it's hour to hour though. So like sometimes it's minute to minute hour. That's why our summer tracker goes to the second. That was another thing. I was like, I want it to the second. I want it to be so you can sit there and stare at like it has a running, the one up in your right hand corner. I don't know if you guys know this, like there's like the static one. And then you can like click in the right-hand corner up at the top and it will like, it's like a counter. Like it's going second to second to second. And I wanted that. So like, if you were struggling, you could just be staring at it. Like if you had to get through like the next 30 minutes to like a craving past or mm-hmm. whatever, you could just be watching the seconds of success that you're not using, like ticking by so that you would feel this sort of um, just like progress, you know? Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm like, I'm all about the emotional journey. Every time I talk to her, it's so funny. We have this great, I have this amazing project manager who I tell him the emotional journey I want to take people on. He's and he'll like map it out in this really analytical way. <laughs> He's like the interpreter. That's I'll be like, fantastic. I want people to feel. I want them to like be in this moment and feel like Buddy understands that they're feeling this way. And I'll and they'll be like, okay, so we need an empathetic response based on their, <laughs> based on their drug and toy stage of recovery, emotional. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah. Exactly what you just said. The yes, last that's exactly it. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's so, and that's the thing. Like, that's what I want to bring to people is the fun, the positive. A lot of times when we talk about things, we focus on the negative, but like on the other side, and there, there is negative, but on the other side, there's fun, there's laughter, there's smiling. Like that's, and that's the thing, like the celebrations and you never know when a craving is going to happen. I mean, eight and a half years. And I had the worst cravings I've had since my first year of sobriety a few months ago. And, yes. and that's important to yes. remember. That's why they always tell you always keep that kind of in your mind that you're, you're in recovery. You know, because you never know the relapse rate. And I don't say this to discourage people. I say this to people to just, you know, know why it's said the relapse rate at 13 years of sobriety is Mm -hmm. higher than the relapse rate at three years, you know, and you can see why that would be, you know, at three years, you're probably still really connected to your like recovery, you know, and I recovery, like the, the idea of recovery and at 13 years, you might be thinking, oh, I'm recovered and I'm totally fine. And I could probably be, you know, be in all my trigger situations with no problem. And then something it, happens. It's that complacency a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, similar like emotional uh, journey where like I, I just stifled all my emotions. I, you know, I was a stonewall on the outside. Everybody thought transitions were easy for me because... That stone wall was always there. Um, And so I didn't start working on it, honestly, until about mm, eight months ago ish. And I started, I had a trigger that, and it was my kids that helped bring this up in me. I started thinking, why do they love me? I'm such a piece of crap. And I was like, wait a second. That's not okay. Is that how I always think about myself? And I started thinking and it's like, I I was in such a self-loathing pattern that I didn't even realize I was doing it. Like that's what it was. It was like a normalized language. That was my neutral. My neutral was self-loathing. So now I've been working 
I look in the mirror and, you know, I start with the, I'm okay with myself. And now wow. I, uh, you know, consciously working on it. That's the thing with changes. It's top of mind. That's why at three years still, that's top of mind, the changes that you're making. So I, I'm at the neutral that I'm okay. So now I, I have to backslide a little bit to get to, I, I'm, I stink. I'm, I'm a piece of crap, like all of this, but at the same time, I still fall down into that sometimes that that's okay. It's part of the journey. You, we yeah. slip sometimes when we're climbing. And you know, so I'm discovering this too. I'm sorry. Like the, the shame that I've had for honestly, everything I've done, even the good things that I've done was just like, yeah, I was supposed to, of course. But like, no, other people don't do that. I'm like, come on. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be happy and enjoy yourself. So yeah, like radical self-acceptance about your pain, but also your joy. You're right. It's very, when, when we're, especially when we're surrounded. And I will say this, I used to feel like this was everyone, but there are different social circles. So when we pay attention to who you're surrounding yourself with too, like start to kind of look at that because the more I got into circles where people were actively working on themselves, and this is what can be really great about a sober community is because usually people in a suburb community have had to kind of come to a, a self-reckoning, you know, like the, you've had to come to that humility place where you're like, I'm something is controlling me. I have lost control of the situation. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that's a breaking point. And it's it, regardless of what got you there, it might not have even been something severe crisis. It could have just been like, wow, I had to recognize that I don't have it all under control. And so then you're actively working on yourself and, and being in a community where people are actively working on themselves is so different because they tend to root for you. They tend to like really, there's there, it's just a healthier environment. And not everybody, not everybody, everybody's right. in a different stage, but it really can change your perspective and circumstances do matter. You know, this is, this was a huge thing I had to do because I grew up and, you know, we're very thought people, you know, spirituality, thought, like a lot of thought, thought, thought. And you're trying to almost overcome everything with like a certain type of thinking. And some like humble state I had to come to was like, no, circumstances matter. Like <laughs> the things around you matter. And I started to pay attention, like what affects me and even things as simple as beauty, like being surrounded by beauty, like, um, yeah. uh, like six years ago, I moved closer to the beach. Just seeing the ocean every day, it, it feeds my soul. Like in a totally different way. And I thought, to, and it also really highlighted to me, like um, there's a lot of areas where there's no beauty present. It's almost like a beauty desert. You know, like everything's just so torn down or so like there's trash everywhere. Like, like I've driven through a lot of places of LA. I'm in Southern California where I'm like, wow, it's just so it's just so like not beautiful here. And that is on some level affecting us, you know? So it's just like all these things that affect us and feed us or take from us, you know, and just paying attention, like what around me is doing that. So just circumstances, I don't remember. I totally got on a like tangent there. I went into my feels there. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's what this podcast is about. We, you know, we go where things take. I, I have ADHD, so I'm good with the squirrel moments. Let's do this. <laughs> I can follow. You want to? I'm there. Good, good. Because I'll go on. <laughs> but like, what, what? It's true that we don't realize how much certain things, the more we're exposed to them, they tend to bleed into um, the way that we look at the world, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and that's something that when I'm looking back at my past, like I can't just look at it in a vacuum. I have to look at it in context. Same with uh, a lot of things. And like you said, with the sobriety community, and I've noticed that with the mental health community as well, like people actively working on their mental health, like, it's, it's such a more freeing place to be than people who think they have it all together, but really they're just suppressing everything. Like then all of a sudden, mm, I'm just not going to talk as much here because I feel like I'm not accepted. And I, right. and that's where I go into like my masking with like ADHD, which I didn't even know was a thing until a couple of years ago when I got diagnosed. I but <laughs> I, it's like, 
I, I was just, I looked at myself like I was a sponge wherever I went. I kind of absorbed a lot of things. Um, and it turns out like, that's just like the masking part of having ADHD. And, um, the amount of community that I've felt, especially the past year and a half, when I've really opened myself up through the podcast with my recovery, um, like it's just, it's different and it's different than the friendships that I've had. It doesn't mean those friendships are any less. It doesn't mean those friendships are not important, but they're just different. There's a different level there. Um, and it just, you can be yourself authentically. Yeah. Either there. So absolutely. The people, the environment you're able to surround yourself with is massive, but also like the things that we learn. And that's another thing, like in the recovery community, like everybody's trying to learn yeah. life, right? We're just trying to learn. And when you have people that are trying to learn, it's, there's something different about that too. Like you said, I never even thought about the the lack of beauty and how that can just kind of leave you in a, a lower state than being near the ocean because a few almost a year ago, I moved closer to the ocean as well. So like, you know, I'm on the East coast now and, uh, Virginia beach. And it's like, you could go right to the ocean. I thought the ocean was meh. It's fine. Now I love it. Like, yeah. It's like I'm you get, yeah. And any kind of nature, I know, I know some people who are like, I'm a water person. I've, you know, I'm an ocean person, but some people are really into trees, you know, like they want to be in the, by the forest or, you know, flowers or things of that sort, but even in your space, you know, like having one little piece of, even if it's like self-made art, <laughs> that like it just makes you happy. Um, but you know, and that's just one thing you do. That's like what we do. We do a lot of things in the app, like challenges that seem silly or like seem like, what does this have to do with recovery? Right. Like, yeah. um, but it's because all of these things affect us, you know, or, you know, we do a lot of things like one of the really popular challenges that a lot of um, people on social media will do is like the buy the coffee for someone else challenge. It's just a fun okay. one to do. Yeah. And it takes you, but it, that's about like getting into that other state, you know, like we're, it's a community. It's a, like, like when you like kind of getting out of your own mind, doing something with like, love, you know, or doing something to like to bless somebody else's life for that day. It get it just shifts your mental state. You know, it's a it's a mental state shift, you know, or we have we we have a couple different skill building challenges where it's like um it's a way that you can give back to other people without having to have necessarily money to do it. So like we there's one where we we send you to a YouTube video that teaches you how to wash windows really well. Or like, um, like give a great foot massage or things like that. Because like, let's say, you know, there's someone in your life, like your parents or someone that you really <laughs> gave a hard time, right? Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to wash all your windows. I'm going to be sparkling and clean, you know? And it's like, that is just a labor, you know, like thing that you can do. But that would be like, oh, wow, they're putting, there's something in that. Like even when you were doing it, it would be building something in you on your inside. Like as you're doing it, if there's something about physical work that yes. does something different. And so it's like recognizing all of these different parts of our humanity and saying all these tiny little infinitesimal things affect us. It affects how we feel about ourselves, how we see the world. And all of those things lend to our healing. And you know, that it's so great that you brought that up because the doing something physical, like, and, you know, maybe exploring different hobby or like giving back without expectation of receiving, like that is all things that help shift your mind in a different direction. So like for me, my oldest son was born a little over four years ago. I was like, I'm going to make it easy on us. I'm going to get blue apron. We don't have to do shopping, teaches me how to cook. Turns out I love cooking. So that's my new hobby. I cook for people. And yes, I get to taste the the amazing food, but it's that same kind of physical using all the the senses. And, you know, I've been told it's like, a, it's a form of mindfulness. I've used it when oh, yeah. I've had cravings and, or like if I'm really down for a week, like I'll be like, you know what? Thursday night, I'm going to cook. 
and I'll go through the recipes that I like. I'm like, I feel like cooking this one and I'll go to the store either that day or the night before and I'll get what I need for it and I'll cook it. And it just brings me back to um, a level where, okay, I'm feeling better now. All right. This is going to be, it's going to be a good weekend. It's a better week. Everything looks good. Like, and Blue Apron helped teach me, you know, how to cook. That's so cool. That's, <laughs> I, I love, we have so many cool things. By the way, this is not a plug, obviously, but I'm going to <laughs> Stanley Tucci's. Have you ever used his cookbooks? I have not. You know who Stanley Tucci is? The I know actor? who Stanley Tucci okay. is. His cookbooks are amazing. Get his cookbooks. <laughs> Write it down. Everybody go get his cookbook. I, you know, I... It's like kind of like Italian based, but more like just family food. It's usually pretty easy. And everything I have made from them are super yummy. Like my kids like it. My family likes it. So interesting. I'm very, I think it's a like great story. Chrissy, I like Chrissy Teigen. Story. Yeah. Oh, Chrissy I've, Teigen. You like her? I've done her uh, recipes. So she's posted some on social media. Obviously she's written a few cookbooks. She came through. So the first few that I had of hers, she went through blue apron and made some recipes that they sent out. And I love, they were quick and 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 tasty. Yeah. I, so I, I saw that and I like retweeted it and I was like, this, this is incredible. More people, you know, I'm glad that people are feeling comfortable enough to speak out about it, whether it's mental health or sobriety. The stigma is starting to shift. That doesn't mean it's not there. Yeah. It's starting Especially to shift. in local communities. Yes. So that's another thing about it is like collectively, as a collective population, mental health, you know, we're talking about it more, especially after COVID and uh, addiction. We're talking about more sobriety is being very popularized right now. Like really, honestly, everybody, if you get sober, you're just cool now. Um, so you're on the forefront of the trend. It's it's happening right now. You could be like, I'm sober because I'm cool. Um, so, <laughs> but that does not mean that your inner circle will think it's cool, especially if they are also... Um, if they're drinking or using and they don't want to give it up and it might just make them feel like they have to, it might make them look at it, you know, and that could make an uncomfortable situation. But if that's the case, reach out to the collective whole, you know, that's what, that's where social media can be good or things of that sort is you can plug yourself into a community you wouldn't normally have access to in your inner circle or like geographically. That's actually been part of what I've done. So, you know, I've really kind of jumped into the sobriety community, like Instagram and Twitter, but like, you know, my friend, big Kev from over at left for a purpose. Uh, my friend Scotty, who was on the show not too long ago, like that's really how I met them. And like, you know, our friendship is just where if any of us needs to talk, like the phone's always going to be answered. And it's just, it's different than, you know, and especially like being in Wisconsin, which is where I was. It's you're you really are looked at as a leper if you don't drink. And it's it's sad. <laughs> it's sad. But it's the mirror that they don't want to see exactly what you talked about. You're putting a mirror up to other people and showing them. And they don't people don't like that. So like, you know, if you, you somebody offers you a drink that you haven't really gone to a restaurant or something before, you're at their house party and you say, Oh, I'm it's okay, I, I don't drink. You're gonna get the oh I don't either I don't either just that social gatherings and like that is the response and that is because of the mirror that you hold up and that's what it is something that we have to get used to the first few times you're gonna be taken aback by it a little bit and but it's true and that's the same thing with mental health uh, you know when you're working on your mental health people will respond in a similar way. So reach out, reach out. Our DM, my DMs are open, untapped keg everywhere. If you need to talk, I'm there to answer. So sure. Reach- also memoirs. I I, I want to mention this really yes. quick because that was a huge uh, influencer in my life. Is I love to read memoirs. And in fact, I read when I was in high school. I read a uh, someone's sober like story about their how they got addicted and their and the, they were like telling their story. That book single-handedly kept me from using in high school. So I just want to say, tell your story about that because as a teenager, I read that and it, it, it showed me that it's not like just bad people who do drugs. It was like showing me humanity and like how you get addicted. And so I was, I knew like from that moment on, I knew I will get addicted to drugs if I use them. 
And that, and I was like super social. Like I for sure would have gone out and done drugs, even though my dad was in the recovery field. I would have been like, yeah, give me everything. So that was, um, that single-handedly stopped me from doing that. But memoirs, um, what they are, is they're an exposure to culture that is not your own. And so it was really, it has been key in my life to read memoirs from different societies different cultures so that I could know something existed, you know, that I could know that like, for me, a big one was, um, Diane von Furstenberg's the woman I wanted to be because she is a strong, but loving woman. She's very full of heart, but she's also super independent. And in my mind that would, that could not coexist just based on my culture that I grew up in. And, um, and it wasn't, no one was consciously saying that, but there was this culture that like a strong independent woman was a lonely woman, you know, or like a non-loving or cold woman. And I've always been like super strong and independent, but I'm also very loving and like, I just love relationships. So it was really important for me to see that example. And her just talking about her life in that way was an archetype for me. So again, there's tons of memoirs from people who have gone through uh, recovery, but just, or who are living a sober lifestyle. And then you can see how that life works, you know, just watching it and say, Oh, that's how you live a sober life. And I've never heard anybody describe a memoir that way. Like that is so it's beautiful. And it, you know, that's something that I think we need more of is those exposures to other cultures. Like that's what I love to do. Um, like if we go someplace that I haven't been, like, uh, eventually I'm going to go down to Atlanta cause I'm a lot closer now. Like I'm going to try to find ways to get off the beaten path and experience the culture, but like, I'm going to have to look up memoirs now because that's the, you know, and like, I, I like watching like documentaries, like, uh, about like, let's say African societies, because I want to know the culture over there in Africa. We don't talk about their culture, but it's so influential. Like that is where a lot of the world's culture. And memoir is great because it's first person. So you're not, it's not like an, an, um, an anthropologist talking about a culture. It's like someone describing how they experienced life. So you can see, you get to almost absorb the culture in a different way rather than just observing it. You're, you're kind of saying like you're experiencing it along with them, you know, and you're saying, okay. And then all of a sudden these things kind of expose, like pay attention to what kind of comes up in yourself. Like, Oh, this felt like a conflict. Why is that a conflict? Like it exposes stuff about your own culture and it, maybe it shows you things, gives you permission for other feelings that you can have or, or things that maybe seemed like they wouldn't work and they do, but also a reason to tell your story. Tell your story, tell yes. your story, tell your story. Absolutely. You never know who will benefit from it. I mean, I never thought anybody wanted to hear my story. I thought they just wanted to hear my brother-in-law's story. But it turns out that people do like to hear my story and where I came from. So everybody's story is unique and somebody is going to take something from your story and remember it. For and sure. It'll change their life and a meaningful way. And you don't even know what those pieces are. And we're so attracted to story. I mean, think about it. If you think about what we do, I mean, all the movies we watch are stories, all of this. And even like just not having the story arc, like we, we love to watch reality TV. That's just watching people's stories. So, you know, we really love, I think there's something in our minds. We just love to be connected to everyone's stories. So when you're like, no one wants to hear my story, trust me, they want to hear your story. <laughs> even video games where it used to just be like, you know, Mario, go save the princess. Like the yeah. stories that they're telling in video games are rivaling cinema, are rivaling books. Like there's so many beautiful stories being told in yeah. meaningful and impactful ways that are, um, yeah, just like, like you said, stories, we all connect to it. Um, so Tara, as we're kind of winding down here, um, a, I just want to let you know, I've, I've loved this conversation. This oh, is good. absolutely wonderful. Um, what is one message you want to leave people with? Your life can be better than it was before. You can, you can get out of the pit. You can make your life into something beautiful. So no matter where you are. And I know like we feel stuck. And so if you feel stuck, you need help. 
you know, find something like a story, like start to reach out like the app. That's, that's one of the things we do with the app is like, we have you do challenges to help you get unstuck, you know, and to build, you know, but there are skills that you can learn. There are tools that are available out there to help you get unstuck and to, to start building and you can heal relationships and you can heal your trauma and you can get better. Right. So if you're feeling like, in this kind of hopeless state or whatever, just know that it is possible and it may be slow and it may take time and it may be gut-wrenching, but it can happen. And so just, I just want to like put that out there and say, yes, you can. I love that. Yes, you can. Absolutely. Um, Tara, if people wanted to follow Sober Buddy or yourself, what are the best ways to do that? You have to, it's your sober buddy. Now, a lot of you are going to hear this and you're going to think my sober buddy. It's your sober buddy. Y-O-U-R. <laughs> your sober at your sober buddy on all the socials. We're not really on Twitter. We need to do that, but we're on all the others. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, um, at your sober buddy. And then, and if you just search sober buddy in the app store, get on the free tracker. That's free. And at least gets you tracking. Even if you're, and if you're at day zero, or you don't even know if you want to get sober, we have a track that will walk you through that, like help you just to, 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 to decide if you want to get sober. So that can also be helpful, but definitely yoursoberbuddy.com and everything from there. That's fantastic. It's on, you know, Apple and Google Play Store, anywhere you can look up the Sober Buddy app, download it. Um, <clears throat> Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. Like it was, it was enlightening. I love that you're using so many different, you know, fields and studies and methods and really what works for you. Like try, that's all we can do is try. And especially when it comes to change, it's a change because you don't know what's going to be coming up. So that's why it's a change. Just yeah. Try. Be curious. Be Absolutely. curious and explore and just open yourself up to what's going to happen and, and go for it. I love it. I love it. So we're on tap keg on tap keg podcast, find us everywhere on all podcast platforms, youtube.com slash tap keg, hit that subscribe button, hit the bell on YouTube. So, you know, when we go live for community meetups um, and, you know, share if this episode could help somebody, you know, just share it. I will clip a trailer, put it out there, share that, let people know, like there's ways to start that you don't have to just go straight sober, try a week, try two weeks, see if that helps. Maybe that'll let you know what you need to change, but trying different ways. And, you know, as Tara said, like the sober buddy can help you walk through that with challenges in the counter. So DM, my DMs are open. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need help finding resources, if you need professional help, I can try to help you guide you to where that needs to be. Uh, 988, the new hotline. I love it. I'm so happy that's finally active. Make sure you call that if you need help right away. And let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today. Because at least we don't make it. We tried. Thank you, everybody. I love you. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.